Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to The Daily Scandal. My name is Yaj Nicolette and I'm the host of the podcast. If this is your first ever episode of The Daily Scandal, welcome. I'm super excited to have you here, tuned in. And of course, if this is your maybe third ever episode of The Daily Scandal, welcome back. I'm super excited to have you here. Today we are chatting about a very well-known scam, okay? And it's going to be one that pretty much everyone here is familiar with. And I'm very excited to chat about it. But first I want to say that when I first came up with the concept for The Daily Scandal, I essentially wanted to dive into cons and scams in the more traditional sense, right? So when you think of a con or a scam, you think of a particular person or maybe an entity or business that is defrauding people, lying to people, getting people to buy into something that is untrue or not what they think they're actually buying into. So it's about lies. It's about deceit. It's about people that are being, again, defrauded, robbed. But I really want us to, with some of these episodes challenge how we are understanding the concept of a scam and fraud. Some of these episodes essentially are going to really touch on societal ideologies that we have bought into, collective beliefs that we hold. And I want to essentially challenge us to rethink or at least ask some more questions about these collective beliefs that we're tapping into. Why are some things normal? Why are these the collective beliefs and ideologies that we are all subscribing to? And is there a better way? And how do we get to that better way? So this is going to be one of those episodes, right? So we're talking about, again, something that, you know, maybe wouldn't fall under the traditional definition of a, sc- a scone, of a scam or a con. I almost said scone. That would have been fun too. It doesn't fall into the definition of a scone. I haven't had a scone in a while, but it does fall into sort of 
of this uh, this other group of scams and cons that I want to challenge us to think about. And that is the nine to five. We're talking about the scam of the nine to five. And also listen to the whole episode, okay? If you are someone that works nine to five, hello. I Well, maybe not hello because you don't know me like that. Maybe you do, okay? Maybe you came from Manifest Daily. That's my other podcast. Maybe you do know me well. If you're tuning into the Daily Scandal and you don't know me that well, I do work at a nine to five, okay? So I'm not sitting here. This is not to bash the nine to five in terms of like everyone should go work for themselves and, you know, no nine to five. Like we're not doing that. This is not that kind of episode. But like I said, this episode is about challenging some of the concepts that have been held in place and normalized over the last couple decades. And I really want to have us sort of challenging those beliefs. I will also say that I did uh, an episode kind of touching on some of the things that we're going to touch on here on my other show, Manifest Daily. And that episode that I did on Manifest Daily was all about hustle culture. And in that episode, I outlined the history of the 95, which we're going to go over today again. Okay, so if you listen to that episode, we are going to touch on that. But we're also going to touch on some other parts of the nine to five. So if you find this episode intriguing or interesting, or if you are curious to hear my point of view, kind of hear some of that dialogue and discussion around the nine to five, but more so laced within the, uh, or not laced within, but more so through the lens of like hustle culture and understanding how um, the nine to five and hustle culture sort of play together. I highly recommend that after this episode, you go listen to that hustle culture episode on Manifest Daily. I think you guys will find this, you'll find that episode really, really good. But for today, we're going to cover some of that initial research that I did covering the history of the nine to five. We're going to talk about the impacts of the nine to five work schedule. We're also going to talk about the scam in and of itself, which is the nine to five and kind of why I, you know... Am, am challenging us to see this as a scam through that POV at least for the next like 20, 30 minutes so we can really think of a better way to set up our society. Grab your beverage of choice. Okay, I have some water right next to me because one thing about me, <laughs> I'm gonna get thirsty. Okay, I'm gonna get real thirsty. And uh, we're gonna dive into this episode. So strap in, grab your snack, grab your water, maybe shot of tequila. I don't know. I don't know what time it is where you're at, but whatever you need to do, go ahead and snag it up. Let's go ahead and dive into chatting about the scam of the nine to five. Okay, so as I said in the intro, before we dive into kind of like the scam of it all, we have to talk about the history of the nine to five. I don't know if you're familiar with the history of the nine to five, but we're gonna cover that right now. So if you're not as familiar, it's totally fine. We're gonna cover like the basics, okay? So I will just say this, history of labor in the United States is very complex. And there are many implications that we experience today that can be dated back to slavery, slave labor, and events that took place way before these events that we're gonna cover today. So I am just going to kind of focus on this brief history and some of the things that we need to really touch on to set the stage for the rest of the conversation. So I'm not addressing, again, some of that slavery history or slave labor history or some of those events that took place even before, you know, some of the things that we're talking about today. But I just want to encourage you guys to do your own research on the history of slave labor in the United States and labor in general in the U.S. Because unfortunately, this is not necessarily a lighthearted story. And you may be shocked by some of the 
things you uncover, but I do think it's necessary to sort of understand where some of these, again, things that have been normalized, these systems that we have in place, like where they actually stem from and where they came from and why we actually subscribe to them to this day. I will also say a lot of the conversation that I am having today in this episode is really focused around the US, but we will touch on other countries and nations in this episode, but it really is a very United States central conversation. But if you don't live in the US, I do think it's still gonna be interesting for you. So just putting that out there. Now, despite how regular it seems to us, the idea of a nine to five or a 40 hour work week emerged in the 1800s. So this is pretty recently. I mean, when you consider the the span of the time that we humans have been on earth walking around doing our thing. So like the nine to five is pretty, pretty new. In the 18th century, we saw a rise in mass production and less focus on the slow hand craftsmanship that we were used to in this country. And this period is better known as the industrial revolution. This began in Britain and later spread to other parts of the world, including the United States. As a result of more machines, Rural towns were transformed into literally these bustling cities and technological advances created a system where we saw labor that was being mechanized. So basically people were working in factories doing the same things over and over and over again for long hours and low wages. In 1817, activists and labor union groups advocated for better working conditions. So people were working like 80 to 100 hour work weeks during this time. Let me tell you something right now. I don't think it could be me, y'all. I mean, I'm sure it could be you either, but like, if you think about it, if you lived back in these times and you like, you were working in a factory and this was your job, I mean, what could you do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what could you do? You could say now, like, couldn't be me, but I mean, back then it was like, I mean, you gonna work or you gonna, you gonna starve? Like, which one is it gonna be? So in 1869, President Grant issued a proclamation to guarantee eight hour workdays for government employees. And this decision encouraged private sector workers to push for the same rights. In 1926, Henry Ford popularized the 40 hour work week after he discovered through his research that working more yielded only a small increase in productivity that lasted only a short amount of time. In 1938, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, which required employers to pay overtime to all employees who worked more than 44 hours a week. Congress amended the act two years later to reduce the work week to 40 hours. And in 1940, the 40-hour work week became U.S. law. So again, pretty pretty recent, like 1940. And, you know, obviously we know that this is kind of standard, but there are many people that work overtime or work way more than 40 hours a week, depending on what profession they're in. So even though this is kind of like the standard, it's still not everyone's reality, right? So I'm just going to put that out there. So now I want to get into the idea of the American dream, which is definitely like super, super cemented in American culture and has even spread to other countries where people will literally move here, right? And as a, a an immigrant, I understand that people literally will come to America in order to have access to more opportunities that they may not have in their home country and also to pursue this idea of the American dream. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the American dream is the ideal by which a quality of opportunity is available to any American, allowing the highest aspirations and goals to be achieved. Americans see the American dream as this idea of upward social mobility, being self-made, having equal opportunity to success through hard work and determination. 
people will literally say like, you know, if you work hard, if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like literally that, that famous quote, that you can make it, you can make it anywhere, you can do anything. And while I do think there's something to be said about hard work, determination, commitment, persistence, like I love all of those things. I'm such a person where it's like, if I wanna do something, I'm very committed. I know that like, I wanna put in the hard work to get to where I'm going. However, this ideal and this definition of the American dream ignores the reality that this country faces when it comes to wealth inequality, the gender wage gap, and access to resources based on a plethora of different identifying traits such as your age, your race, your ethnicity, or even little things like the connections that you have to other people based on how you grew up and who your parents know. So it is possible, you know, to work hard and to get to where you want to go in life. However, it's not that simple. And it's not that simple to say that if someone gets a job, a nine to five and works really hard, they can become rich or they can live this amazing life. That in and of itself sort of ignores every other part that we have playing in this reality, um, especially when it comes to something like the American dream. Most Americans born into a lower socioeconomic class stay in that lower socioeconomic class for their entire life. Lack of education, religion, physical ability, gender identity, or even race identity are some of the factors that affect social mobility in any society, not just American society. And while there are some nations where it's easier to move upwards, such as Denmark, Norway, Finland, the truth is that there is no one society where upward social mobility is 100% possible for any one person. An article titled The American Dream is Fake and Destructive written by Amanda Wang states that the American dream encourages systems that continue to disinfect franchise working class Americans and reward the top 1%. We're in the society where we continue to perpetuate the idea of upward mobility and the importance of hard work when in reality, these things alone won't be enough to actually propel the majority of people into the success that the American dream advertises, especially not when it comes to someone who is working on a fixed income of a nine to five. Many people don't experience a rise in wages until they move to a new job. In fact, a workforce vitality report from payroll and HR services firm ADP suggests that switching jobs is a better strategy for wage growth than holding on to a current position. So I read another article from Value Penguin, and this one was on workers who switched companies recently. And they were asking people who left their employer for another job during the pandemic how much their cash compensation package had changed. And here's what they said. 29% said their compensation increased by more than 30% in their new role. 20% received a 10 to 20% increase in compensation. And and 27% are earning the same or less than they did in their previous role. So the idea here is that changing jobs is going to be essential for someone who wants to engage in that upward mobility, someone who wants to make more money, who wants to get closer to living again, you know, their dream life, their version of maybe luxury or something close to the American dream. And it's really interesting because I, I mean, I didn't put this in the research and I didn't do any specific research on this, but like even something as simple as buying a house, right? You think of that like white picket fence and having a house and your family and your dog and like whatever that in and of itself right there is less accessible to millennials and people who are around the age where their parents or their grandparents once were able to easily buy a house or maybe not easily but like they were able to buy a house it's wild to see because like i'm in that stage where i'm like looking at houses and trying to figure out sort of like some of those next steps and even with my job like my job is a great job but even being here trying to figure out like how am i going to be able to afford some of these things and so you know this idea is that the more that you're able to move from job to job, the more that you're able to actually capitalize on those like growth and 
wages. Staying at the same job is not gonna get you that raise in the way that you want to. You know, we're so used to hearing about people in the older generations who started to work at a job, stayed at that job until it was time for retirement and like cashed out with their retirement and basically put all their loyalty and all their eggs in that one basket for that one company. But it's not the same anymore. Staying at this one job, staying in this one place is not going to get you the American dream. It's not gonna get you all the things that you want in the same way that it may have in the past. The thing is that moving from job to job is a challenge in and of itself. But for those with limited skills, network connections, or access to such things like reliable transportation, reliable childcare, I mean, the list goes on and on. The idea of leaving a stable job, even if that job is underpaid to find another is simply just a dream and not necessarily an achievable goal. A major defining factor of the nine to five is the hours worked. So obviously this is a 40 hour work week as we covered in the intro when we're talking about the history of the nine to five. And while there are some careers with more demanding hours, um, you know, depending if you work in like the medical field, maybe you're a lawyer, whatever, like there are some careers where, or even, um, you know, other careers where you're working like retail and you're working overtime. Like there's so many different things that fall outside of the standard nine to five, 40 hour work week. But the idea here is that nine to five has become so ingrained in our culture. When we talk about white collar jobs and we talk about corporate culture, it's very much calling it a nine to five, even if you don't work nine to five hours and you work a lot more than that. While there have been some countries moving to test out a four day work week instead of a five day work week, and some companies have actually been implementing the schedule for employees, the question still remains, is a reduction in hours the answer to raise employee productivity and morale. A four-day work week isn't a compressed work schedule. So a four-day work week is simply reduced hours. So the employee would work around 28 hours over four days. Again, this part kind of includes like those hour-long breaks and have a three-day weekend. It sounds great, right? In theory, I always say to my friends, I'm like, y'all, can we have a three-day weekend? Like, give me Monday off. Give me Friday off. Like, let me let me have, you know, the first day of the weekend to really settle into the weekend, that second day for maybe like a turn up, and the third day to sort of relax, get ready for work. Like, two days is quite short. You know what I mean? Two days, you're barely getting into the groove of the weekend before all of a sudden you have to, like, jump back into work, and it's like, oh, my God, I'm here again. It's Monday. Ah! So it's like a whole thing. But here's the thing, okay? Hear, hear me out about the four-day work week and why it may not necessarily be the solution that we all want to think it is. So the four-day work week is unlikely to increase productivity unless productivity at a company is already low. Basically, if the productivity is not currently low and you're not trying to raise the productivity levels of your employees, the four-day work week simply forces people to do more work in less time. If you think about it, it's like taking five days of work, right? Five days of Zoom meetings, calls, whatever you have to do, and condensing it into the time of four days. And while for some people like that actually does increase their productivity, have y'all ever played this montage game? Like sometimes I'll do this thing where, okay, like tonight, for example, I did it. So I ordered, I DoorDashed some food and I basically knew I had like 30 minutes before my food came. So I was like, okay, 30 minutes, like, let me do some laundry. Let me change my sheets. Let me do this. And it forced me to kind of move really quickly because I wanted to finish everything before my DoorDash came. That's amazing. That's great. Right. But if you think about that idea of having to like move quickly to get everything done in a shorter amount of time, over time, that kind of 
becomes a really stressful situation. Like you don't want to always have to like be rushing and moving quickly to get things done because you, because you have less amount of time in your work week. So there's actually been some research done on the four day work week and whether or not it actually leads to more happiness for employees. And the thing is that the four day work week does increase happiness or it actually, you know, increases happiness in most people. However, that's actually for a short duration. Eventually people actually revert back to their natural state of happiness, sort of like their baseline of happiness, if you will. This is a great example of what is actually known in psychology as the hedonic treadmill theory. According to psychology today, the hedonic treadmill is the idea that an individual's level of happiness after rising or falling in response to positive or negative life events ultimately tends to move backward towards where it was prior to these experiences. And the process by which positive or negative effects on happiness fade over time is called hedonic adaptation. So essentially we overestimate the effect that working less hours may do to increase our happiness on a permanent and long-term basis. So a four-day work week also neglects to actually address some of the issues of the nine to five that are so ingrained in our society and in corporate culture. Questions like how are companies actually addressing stress and mental health for employees? Is there a focus on wellness as a whole? Is there a move towards supporting resources and systems that actually cater to nurturing workers in the long term? Less hours worked may mean less stress in the short term, but we have to think about this as like a longer term conversation. And if people are being pushed to complete the same amount of work in a shorter period of time, that to me says it's giving stress, it's giving burnout, it's giving high turnover, no matter how much people crave a good three-day weekend, I think if you were faced with a decision of like five-day work week and like maybe lower stress levels over time or that four-day work week, but now you're like being pushed and pushed and pushed to do so much more that by the time you get to the three-day weekend, it's not giving three days no more. Like I feel like people would actually kind of want to stick to the five-day work week. Now we talked about a bunch of different things in this episode and I kind of want to tie it all together in like a neat little bow to talk about sort of this idea of the scam of the nine to five because I feel like I said so many different things and you guys are like, okay, this is fun, fun conversation, but like, what's the point, right? The point is that this episode isn't necessarily meant to make you want to quit your nine to five. Like I said, I work a nine to five, love having, you know, a quote unquote stable job, a, a check that I can expect on a monthly basis. I know I get paid monthly. It's very annoying, very, very annoying, <laughs> but I do love that. And there are many people right now who are pushing this ideal of entrepreneurship over a nine to five job with the goal that you know you want to create more freedom you want to be able to work from anywhere you want to be able to have access to more of an unlimited income versus capped income of a nine-to-five and while I have so much respect and love for entrepreneurs we'd be remiss to assume that entrepreneurship is an easier path even if it can be more lucrative where the entrepreneur trades in capped income in an office environment they pick up things like longer working hours and different issues that come as a result of being a business owner I think that we need to be thinking much, much bigger. How can we globally reinvent the way that our nine to fives work to provide more social support to the collective as a whole? We need to rethink things like maternity leave, paternity leave, wages, schedules, and general wellness and happiness when it comes to the nine to five. While nine to fives serve a purpose, they are not the end all be all. We've all been sold this lie that a nine to five job is the key to achieving everything that we need to live the American dream to become rich while participating in an organization. And in some ways, I think that we can liken the way that we've been socialized to think of a nine to five as an indoctrination process into a very well-known cult. Cause sometimes it kind of feels like a cult, except we're all wearing
wearing a little bit of like a different uniform, you know? I wanted to create this episode to simply inspire you to view the nine to five a bit differently through the lens where we question what is normal and what we've been taught to believe is the default option. Because again, as much as a nine to five can be great, I also don't think it needs to be this particular structure. I'm less concerned about the hours worked because again, we talked about some of the cons of this idea of the four day work week. But I think what we need to do is completely just break the entire system down. <laughs> that sounds very aggressive, but I do think this needs a complete overhaul. The nine to five is just part of an entire bigger picture of all the things that are wrong with the collective as a whole. And I think that if we are going to fix the collective, if you will, if we're going to make things better for people, if we're going to fix some of these bigger and broader social issues that we have, we have to examine one of the biggest pieces that's at the center of this puzzle. And that is the way that most of us earn and spend money. If there's a small group of people the 1%, right? The top 1% that hold the majority of the money in the world. And the rest of us are going to our nine to fives and we are working really hard and we are doing all the things that, you know, we've been taught to do that we've been told is right. You know, go to school, get your college degree, you know, get a job, work really hard, save for retirement, buy a house, like all of these things we're, we're feeding into it. We're doing it. We're like, okay, this is what I've been taught. This is what I should do. But we're still here some of us living paycheck to paycheck, some of us never being able to have access to some of the things that the people in the top 1% have, there's something broken here. There's something wrong with the system here. There's something that's off and we need to examine it. So I'm not talking about completely throwing away the idea of working. I think that work serves an important purpose outside of money because money, of course, you know, we, we've created this idea of money and making money and spending money and having currency to measure things in the world, right? So I'm not talking about money here. And I'm not talking about the nine to five being the, the only way that we can make money. I'm talking about work creates purpose for people, for the people that love their jobs, for the people that enjoy getting up and going to work, for the people that actually like really enjoy being part of an organization, like that creates purpose and that creates happiness in and of itself. However, like I said, the system as a whole needs to be just we need to shift it. We need to change it. Something has to change. And I don't know how or when or just, I don't know. I have no answers to that, okay? But I just want to prompt us to start asking the questions. I think when it comes to change, often when we think about breaking down something like an entire system of how we've been taught to think about work, it seems daunting. And it is daunting if you want to approach it with the sense of like, oh, we're going to change this in 2023 and we're going to completely come up with a whole new system. Like, I don't foresee that happening at all. But what I do think we can do is start to take small steps in our organization specifically to question things, right? So that can involve like asking your employers to do certain things in the organization that really helps when it comes to wellness of the employees, that really helps when it comes to mental health for the employees. Like asking your jobs to start taking taking on a more responsible role when it comes to actually caring for their employees. Like these are not just people that you can fire any day and treat like they're just another number, a name on a spreadsheet or something like these are actual souls. And so I think the more that we start to hold corporations to a higher standard, the more that we start to raise the bar, right? Raise the bar for what we're looking for when it comes to work, when it comes to our employers, like we can all make those subtle shifts in our specific worlds. And that's how we create change over time. Like it's kind of like a little, little drop in the ocean at a time, like a little step here at a time, right? The scam is that the nine to five 
doesn't have to be the end all be all. The scam is that the nine to five, at this point, the American dream, yeah, the nine to five is not leading you to the American dream at this point. Not in the way that we were taught that it would. Not in the way that you maybe think that it should. It's not doing that. So that is the scam of the nine to five. Really not, you know, meant to be a depressing episode. I hope you don't find it that way. I find it fascinating actually. And if anything, I find it to be inspiring because having these conversations inspires me personally to you know think about what I can do in my life to you know really invite those moments of change on an individual level and the more that all of us kind of do that in our lives the more that we actually make lasting and powerful collective change so I really hope you guys enjoy this episode uh please come find me on Instagram it's the manifest daily on Instagram I'll link it below it's I, I'm not making a whole new Instagram for this podcast okay so you can just find me on the manifest daily i pretty much use it like a personal instagram anyways and let me know if you enjoyed this episode if you kind of liked more of the social commentary talking about kind of something a bit more um you know not specific to any one case but specific to all of our all of our realities our collective reality i hope you enjoyed this one my loves please be sure to leave a five-star review if you did and i will chat with you in the next episode i appreciate you so so much for being here have a beautiful rest of your day and have an amazing two-day weekend <laughs> Bye, my loves. Mm-hmm.